Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Hey, hey, welcome in. We have an amazing interview queued up for you today. Haley Raymond, Associate Director of Brand Marketing at HelloFresh, is joining us out of Brooklyn for today's episode. HelloFresh has grown into the leader in the meal kit space. And as a direct-to-consumer company, they've built their portfolio of brands largely through performance marketing. While branding and performance marketing have traditionally been somewhat at odds with one another, a big part of Haley's role is to break down silos and make sure that HelloFresh is building brand equity at every stage of their marketing funnel. In this episode, we talk through how to quantify the results of difficult to measure top of funnel efforts, why a brand sandbox, quote unquote, has replaced the standard brand book at HelloFresh, how to maintain continuity with dynamic creative across all your customer touch points, and plenty more. A lot of times, branding and performance marketing are discussed as two completely separate schools of thought, but Haley connects the dots about right and left brain thinking in a really elegant and original way, which I think you will find very refreshing. So without further ado, Haley, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. So what's your story? Can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and how you found yourself at HelloFresh? Sure. Yeah, so I'm Associate Director of Brand Marketing at HelloFresh. And just for a bit of background on HelloFresh, in case anyone isn't familiar, it's a meal kit company. It's actually, we call it America's number one meal kit, meaning that we are the largest meal kit company in the US, but also globally. We launched in 2011 in Germany and are now active in 14 countries. And it's a pretty big company. So in Q2 of this year, 2020 alone, we sent 150 million meals to 4.2 million households worldwide. So yeah, definitely gone global. And there are three meal kit brands in our portfolio. So there's HelloFresh, which is probably the most recognizable to people. There's also Green Chef, which focuses on organic ingredients and specialty diets like keto, paleo, vegan, and Every Plate, which is our super affordable option. So yeah, that's where I am currently. And as a brand marketer at HelloFresh, I imagine we may get into this more, but it's been really interesting for me because we do all of our brand strategy and creative development in-house. We don't work with outside agencies. So obviously, I'm doing a lot of that from rebrands to product launches. But at the same time, HelloFresh is a performance marketing machine. We really operate kind of like a tech startup. So I definitely have one foot in both of those worlds. And then I think like just in terms of my background, previous to HelloFresh, I was on the agency side. So I started out doing social strategy and digital strategy and then moved into the brand strategy space, worked on a million different brands as you often do on the agency side, everything from Keurig and Dos Equis to a bunch of CPG brands like KY Jelly, which is very interesting, and Airwick and Clearasil, you name it. So yeah, I think it gave me a good foundation for working with all kinds of brands, with all kinds of brand problems, problems to solve, friction points for consumers. And now I'm in HelloFresh. How has the agency background influenced the way that you think about and approach your brand marketing at HelloFresh? Yeah, I mean, I think it gave me a really profound respect for good creative. Like that is the ultimate product that agencies are selling. And, you know, I'm talking about sort of above the line agencies, so digital ones as well. Like what you are offering to your customers and to your clients is 
a caliber of creative work that is hard to find elsewhere. And so I think I've sort of brought that respect and reverence for really excellent creative into an in-house position and tried to really foster that and build respect within the rest of the company as much as possible. Because if you think about it, like when you're in-house, most of the company is working more on the product side or the you know, digital product side, the tech side, they may have never worked with creative resources in their life and really not have an understanding of like how things are built or what does brand strategy mean and how does that influence how consumers interact with the brand. So, you know, I think I try to do my best to educate people and build the influence of the brand of the company, you know, within HelloFresh. So kind of to your point, I guess, how would you describe the importance of brand strategy and just define it and explain it to a five-year-old? To a five-year-old, okay. <laughs> I say, uh, we'll say a smart 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Like five-year-old, uh, you know, <laughs> at, at least we're talking about food. That's interesting to people of all ages. But yeah, I mean, brand strategy at its core is just if you think of a brand as a person, who is that person? And that goes beyond well, what do they look like? Meaning logo look like, what does the creative look and feel look like? But it's what are that brands or person's personality traits? What do they do and what do they not do? And I think like that's often how we think about brand strategy is it's not about a fixed moment in time. Like our brand is X. It's more our brand does these things but it stops short of doing these other things because that's someone else's brand. We are confident, but we're not cocky. And some brands are cocky. They want to be cocky, you know, speaking about Dos Equis. Like that's really the whole point of that brand and many other, you know, Axe and Old Spice, many brands in the sort of like traditional men's space have that cocky vibe, but it's sort of identifying like, how do you want to come across to your consumers And hopefully you're building that not just based on whims, but based on what you think your consumers are going to respond to, which means you you need to have an understanding of who your potential customers are going to be. Where do they live? How old are they? What are their behaviors? And I think behaviors and patterns and sort of like the psychology is almost more important than just knowing, oh, it's men or it's women or it's moms or as you know whatever like those are i think buckets that brand strategy used to really rely on but they don't tell you very much about people so something that i try to focus on in my role is getting a level deeper what are the psychographics what are people's behaviors what are the friction points that they have with various experiences so digging into the psychology or psychographics a little further what are some examples of important learnings that might influence the brand voice or some of the actions that you would take going forward Yeah, I mean, I think a really big one to linger on is what are people doing currently? If they don't have access to your product, what is their behavior? And just taking HelloFresh as an example, we are a meal kit. But if you don't have access to a meal kit or you're not familiar with that concept, because it's a relatively recent product, what did people do instead? They went to the grocery store. And that's a very defined behavior. So I think having an understanding of the triggers for that existing behavior, like when do people think about needing to acquire food? 
and how often are they going to the grocery store and how do they feel about going to the grocery store? What are the friction points of which there are many, many, you know, you have to drive there, you have to find parking. You know, if it's after work hours, everyone else is at the grocery store at the same time and you have to wait in a long line to check out. It's hard to find ingredients that you're looking for. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the idea is that if you have an understanding of the current behaviors, you can position your product to answer some of those concerns that people have. If you order a meal kit, you don't need to go to the grocery store very often, if at all, because we are sending these things to your door, meaning you don't have to drive there. You don't have to wait in line, all of the things that I mentioned. You know, something that people really get annoyed about without access to meal kits is that they'll buy too much of various products or their spouse or their kids will go wild and buy too much of something and then it just goes bad in the fridge. People hate that. So that's another way that you can position your product if your product is a meal kit by saying, we pre-portion and pre-measure everything. So we're only sending you what you need. You're not paying for extra stuff that's going to go bad. And that's also a benefit environmentally, you know, because almost 50% of the food that we buy goes to waste. Which is crazy. Yeah. Curious, when it comes to performance marketing and branding, it seems like two things that have traditionally been diametrically opposed. How malleable are these parameters when it comes to performance marketing and how you show up as a brand? Brand versus performance is definitely something that I've given a lot of thought to. As I mentioned, you know, being a brand marketer, but within a very performance-led company. And I think it's a really interesting time to be talking about brand versus performance because you do start to see the walls coming down between those two. Like you said, I think traditionally it's like you're either doing one or the other. It's two different teams. The KPIs are totally distinct. If you're, you know, traditional brand KPIs are brand like very upper funnel brand awareness, like brand affinity, brand consideration, and only looking at those. So really dwelling in the upper funnel. And then performance is seen as lower funnel. So last click, getting people to convert, that type of thing. And I think there are a number of reasons why that sort of division is changing. I would say more and more companies like HelloFresh are taking a lot of brand and creative development in-house, which makes it easier to have those conversations between the two teams. I think there are so many digital touch points now. It's not just like a banner ad or SEM, SEO. It's very complex, very creative forward placements. And, and also, I think consumers now have really wisened up to marketing and they have an expectation that they know when something is an ad. And so they're saying to us, it doesn't matter if I am close to converting and buying this product or if I'm just kind of learning about it in the first place. I want to see really great creative. That's the only way I'm going to engage with this brand. I'm not just going to do it because it flashes on my screen. So, you know, I think like there's a lot more partnership between brand and growth. And at HelloFresh, we talk more and more now about performance branding. You know, which is just a, a way to say, to sort of get away from some of the cliches about branding that it's fixed, that it's not measurable, that it's sort of a purely creative exercise, which none of those things are necessarily true or, or should be true. It's really about at the end of the day, like 
how are you moving people through the marketing funnel from upper funnel to mid funnel to lower funnel and moving people through from top to bottom efficiently? Because if you think about it, it's much more important to be moving a smaller number of people all the way through the funnel efficiently than to get a bunch of people at the top of the funnel and then they all drop out by the bottom or you're getting people just at the bottom you know, who will buy one product, but then you never see them again. They only convert one time and you know, your lifetime value on that customer is quite low. So definitely an interesting time because I think this idea of performance branding is kind of taking hold. So in terms of performance branding, are there any KPIs that cross over to look at and you're not kind of comparing apples and oranges and trying to make decisions? Honestly, I think there are a bunch. Ideally, this idea of having the two teams working closely together, we should both be using each other's KPIs. So ideally, starting with the brand metrics, which are at the top of the funnel, a growth team should care about our level of brand awareness and brand consideration and unaided awareness versus aided awareness. Like, can people, if you ask people without context, is HelloFresh a brand you know? Or, you know, what's a meal kit brand? Like, can they pull your brand's name out of thin air? They should care about that because it allows them to change the way they're structuring the mid funnel and particularly lower funnel. You know, like, do we need to be telling more of a story in our paid social ads to remind people, hey, this is the name of our brand. This is what we're selling. And here's a way to click over to our website and convert. Or are people so familiar with your brand, like a Disney or something, if Disney was selling a specific product, that you really don't need to do much storytelling, even you know, in the lower part of the funnel. Like you can run an, a sale and just have the logo and people convert right away. So that's why you definitely see more like brand lift studies and surveys being done. A lot of tech platforms are now offering them like Google and Facebook because it's something that is interesting to everyone in the company, not just like a brand team. So that's sort of growth team using brand metrics and then brand team using growth metrics. Like you should care about what the conversion rate is. And if you're able to move people, like if your company has very high brand awareness, but the conversion rate is low, that's something that you should care about and go talk to your growth team about come up with hypotheses on why that's happening. And I think particularly what my team is interested in seeing is related to site metrics. So if we are telling people about our brand and giving them some familiarity, what's the bounce rate on the site? What's the average time on site? How long are people lingering with the brand and aiming to learn more? And you know, maybe spending time watching video content if they're Googling your brand, are they flip-flopping between like text-based searches and then YouTube video searches, which a lot of people do? And what type of video content are they watching? Those are all sort of blended experiences where, yeah, it's in the growth environment, but they are watching content. They're trying to get value out of this content that they're consuming. So with all the different touch points and potential avenues to, to reach customers, with a more fluid or dynamic approach to branding, how do you ensure that you're showing up in a recognizable way across each of the channels or touch points? 
it's a definitely a good question. You know, like I think it feels like every week there is a new digital touch point that you can add to your roster and HelloFresh certainly does a lot of them. So yeah, it's kind of like gone are the days that you can just make a brand book that's maybe 50 pages and then no one has to update it for like two years. That Those days are gone because a week from now, a new channel could pop up that has specs that require you to do something a bit different. And so I think like basically all three of our brands at this point have gone through rebrands at various points. So starting from the very beginning of the rebrand, making sure you have some of those channel-specific limitations in your mind. I think like for a lot of more traditional brand strategists, that feels like the wrong order in which to accomplish a rebrand is like you think about the big creative strategy first and then just deal with the tactical stuff later, which like obviously you still need to have great creative. But understanding that at least until recently, Facebook, which is a huge platform for most companies, had a 20% limit on text. So if your brand is very focused on a lot of copy or typography, it's not going to fly on that platform or it's going to have to look very different. Or understanding that for a lot of digital touch points now, you have to be ADA compliant, meaning that if someone has a disability and the colors or the ways they're consuming the content on a digital screen, you need to make sure that your content abides by that or you can get really penalized and sued. So like if you have a color palette that is several shades of red that are very close to each other, that whole thing is just out the door for your digital touch points. You can't use those. So making sure that you at least have someone as part of the rebrand who has an understanding of how some of the more difficult touch points are going to handle you know, your color palette, for example, is helpful. But I think also just allowing... like I talk about building a brand sandbox as opposed to creating like a, a fixed image of what your brand looks like. You Back to this point about your brand being a person, it's more about saying, here's how we come across creatively and here's how we don't, as opposed to this is the one look that we're going to do or here are two looks. Being able to work within a sandbox allows you to come across or show up in a bunch of different ways, but there's always this creative thread that shows people, okay, this is all HelloFresh, but it's not all the same color. It's not all the same image. You might have several different iterations of your logo, which is, a, I think, a sort of growing in popularity to have dynamic design. And you know, I think there are honestly a lot of benefits to doing that because it helps people not just start to tune you out. If you are so consistent across every touchpoint, which people in the industry call that matching luggage, if you just have matching luggage across all platforms, people just see it and they're like, yeah, no, I've seen that before. Like I'm just totally zoning out and focusing on something else. So branding is about being dynamic and being interesting while still staying true to who you are. As a brand or a company, what pillars or consistent message points are there that aren't flexible or are here to stay? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that goes back to what your brand stands for, like what, and that's sort of focused on your product and then everything that surrounds your product. Like, does your product, is it always going to have, for example, with HelloFresh, high quality ingredients? And with Green Chef, we 
offer organic ingredients. And we really will always aim to offer a ton of variety, recipe variety to people. Like these are things that will never change. They are endemic to our product and we will make sure to always protect that. And then at the same time, yeah, there's a question of like, okay, so beyond the product, what else do we stand for? And especially these days, I think what most companies, whether they want to or not, are being asked to answer for is what are you doing to be a sustainable company? And what are you doing to be a socially responsible company? And consumers are taking brands to task who are not able to answer those or who haven't given it much thought because I think particularly with younger generations, each generation more so than the previous, they really expect brands to be doing the best they can to like protect the environment, to protect their workers, whether they're in the US or abroad, it doesn't matter. And I think that's only really intensified because of COVID, because of Black Lives Matter, because of this year's horrible natural disasters. Like this is going to be a conversation that keeps coming up. So as a brand, whatever size you are, really, yeah, having some lines in the sand to say, this is what we stand for. And this is what we're going to focus on is really important. Because I think like the issue that brands sometimes run into when they stray from the product in terms of like what you stand for is they aren't able to be consistent over a long period of time. Like standing for something in the realm of social responsibility or sustainability in your business practices, it is not a stunty thing. Like you have to be walking the walk before you say anything about it. And it has to be something that is consistent year in and year out, or people will find out and they will call you out. And there are millions of examples of this. And, and honestly, like I really respect that about consumers. I think it, it holds brands to a higher standard and requires that we really think about what the brand is standing for and consistency. All right. Yeah, it is so important to walk that walk before saying anything about that. And it's a tough balance to, to figure out, are we doing enough before we can actually talk about this and say that, we're, that we stand for this? Because yeah, it is great that consumers are holding companies to a much higher standard calling bullshit when they need to. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and uh, they should keep doing it. You know, I do that as a consumer. And just because I work in marketing, like it does not mean that I'm hoping the consumers don't notice stuff. Like, I think it's really good. You know, at the end of the day, companies need to make money and that's the system that we're working within. But that doesn't mean that consumer pressure and calling brands out on social media and revealing inconsistencies like that has a really huge impact on companies. And we monitor that stuff very closely. Like we look at what our community is saying. And if there's a trend, like that will go all the way to the top, to the C-suite. So I think consumers have a lot of power to exert influence on brands. Absolutely. And as far as the different subgroups of consumers that HelloFresh and your portfolio brands are, are focused on. I'm curious, when it comes to communicating the, the nuances between the brands, how do you identify the specifics of the audiences that you're targeting and make sure to tailor the similar but specific language for each brand? Yeah, it's been a journey. You know, I think because having a portfolio of brands that offer a similar product, there are just major pros and major cons to that. The pros being that 
you know, in terms of efficiency and learnings, we can be sharing across the three brands. And the fact that most of us who work there, we're not siloed by brand. So everyone on the brand side and the growth side is working across all three brands, or at least two of them at one time. So if you see something that's working for one brand or something that really doesn't work, you can apply those learnings to the other two brands. And that's allowed us to... So Every Plate is our most recent brand. And we sort of incubated it, I think, on a lot of the learnings that we had gleaned from HelloFresh and the years that it's been in the market. And Every Plate has grown extremely quickly because of that. But yeah, the con is that you need to make sure that you're not just cannibalizing between the three brands, you know, like, how do we know that we're not just reaching the same consumer advertising all three brands, and then having them go with every plate, which is our most affordable brand, if potentially they would have gone for HelloFresh, which has a slightly higher price point, you know, and because we pushed them both, they, they chose the lower option. So I think a lot of that has to do with making sure we do have an understanding of our consumers, both prospects, but in particular, like when people become customers, we know if they have signed up for one of our two other brands at any point in the past and seeing where people are coming from. So, you know, through various types of data, you can see if a customer has tried another meal kit in the past. So if they're familiar with the space and they ended up with us or we're their first foray into the meal kit space and maybe they decide it's not for them and go to a different one. So we're able to monitor some of that. And I think obviously you need to have a distinctive brand to start out with, but part of what's helped us really hone the focus or or the messaging is seeing where people are going and being able to For example, if someone signs up for HelloFresh, but they're really interested in eating vegan, then they will leave and we'll ask them, why are you leaving? And they'll say, oh, you don't have enough options for specialty diets. And so in that case, you know, it gives us an opportunity to potentially offer them something else in our portfolio that might fit their needs better. Or if they say, oh, Green Chef is a bit too expensive for my budget for the next six months, then we would be able to offer them every plate, you know, or something that is a bit more affordable. So I think that is a good situation to be in, to to have those learnings. But at the end of the day, particularly being a brand marketer, I would say it's just so much about listening to your consumers and your customers, like in every possible way, you know, whether it's statistically significant or not, making sure you're doing quantitative research and qualitative research, a really big area of insight more qualitatively that we have is our communities on Facebook. So we have HelloFresh community and a Green Chef community and every plate community where we invite customers who have often maybe reviewed the product favorably, though we keep it pretty open. And those people have a lot of conversations amongst themselves. You know, they'll ask, hey, who in this group is new to cooking? or who would consider themselves an expert. You know, these are questions that you love to hear people's answers to. And this community is just like finding ways to ask these questions because they're curious about the other people using the product. And so, you know, that's really been an opportunity for us to kind of be a fly on the wall as people are talking about their experience with the product and more generally like 
their behaviors around cooking and grocery shopping and cleaning up after meals and who is cooking in the household and who are you cooking for? So it's just one example, you know, whether you set up a Facebook group specifically for your brand or you're just making sure to be monitoring Reddit, because I almost guarantee if you're, you know, a brand that reaches a certain size, there will be people on Reddit talking about you, good and bad. And it really behooves you to be listening to those people. Yeah, I think the Facebook group in particular is is interesting. It seems like it could be an invaluable resource for insight and and learning. So when it comes to those groups in particular, I mean, once you have more critical mass, then the value kind of creates itself with the community and the back and forth and the interaction between the the people who are part of the group. But how do you build up and provide that value that makes it worthwhile for somebody to join a group like that? You know, I think one easy way to do that, though I'm not sure it always pans out, is to offer some kind of incentive. If you offer people a free box or something like that to at least get them into the space, that's sort of a go-to method. But I'm not a huge fan of that just because it does sort of skew the power dynamic, you know, or, or it sort of maybe changes the natural progression of who would have been interested in that, who's truly interested in that and who's just doing it for kind of a quick incentive, which, you know, I don't blame them. I would do that too. So I think often we underestimate our customers' interest in seeing a peek behind the curtain and feeling like they're really a part of building your brand. I think, you know, a great example of this is Glossier, the makeup brand. They were hugely successful in basically inviting consumers in to give their opinions before the brand even launched. They did a lot of sort of market research with people to say, what do you think about this? What do you think we should name this product? Which colors do you like in this palette? And people love that stuff, you know? Like it often feels so one-sided where as a consumer, you're just being marketed to, you're being pushed communications. And if as a company, whatever size, if you're able to open the lines of communication so people feel like it's more of a conversation and it's going both ways, that's a really powerful feeling as a consumer. You know, I want to be able to tell, I don't know, a cereal brand like, hey, how come you guys don't have this flavor? I love this flavor, you know, or like any example in that realm. I think consumers really respond to that. So positioning it that way where by joining this community, we'll be looking to you for examples of new products and running ideas by you. I think consumers really respond to that. I know when I first heard about HelloFresh, it was through podcast advertising, mm. which I, I think is an amazing medium. Obviously, I'm biased because we have a podcast. That's not <laughs> why I'm saying it. But uh, when it comes to podcast advertising or anything that's really top of funnel, what goes into measuring that and... I guess, is it important to quantify at a one-to-one level for that type of advertising? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's been a journey with podcast advertising for advertisers to find consistent ways of measurement. And I wouldn't say that we're totally there yet. I think like you often see that with these new touch points where it can feel a bit like the Wild West, but that also gives you a really good opportunity to just try it out often at a lower price point, significantly lower price point than a channel that has, you know, is all buttoned up and you can get your metrics easily, but it's extremely expensive. 
Facebook, for example, you know. So I think we just sort of have a test and learn mentality at HelloFresh and are very eager to try different touch points as they come up and not be too like risk averse there. But I think also we use offer codes. So we'll give you a specific code, which at this point, it seems like that's the way that many podcast advertisers are now handling it, where they'll give you a distinctive code similar to like an out-of-home ad. If you're seeing an ad on the subway or something, it'll say subway 50, and then you can sign up using that code. And, you know, obviously, like, I'm sure there are more efficient ways of doing it because often, or at least some of the time, those people will remember the brand and want to sign up, but they forget the code. And so they just... Google the brand and look for an offer that way. So you're not getting the full attribution. But it's a pretty good way to approximate the number of people who are hearing the ad and it resonates with them. And I think you can also... It's another example of why it's a good idea to have all of your marketing teams talking to each other, the growth team and the brand team and all of those different teams. Because if one of the teams says, okay, we're going to be running a series of podcast ads for the next three months, then everybody should just be aware and see if there's an uptick in their KPIs that they're measuring. Like, are more people going to the site? Are more people Googling the brand name? Are more people converting off the code? Or are more people converting in general? It's sort of process of elimination. Like, If you're not able to tie it to a specific other channel, it's likely that that boost did come from podcasts. So I definitely think it's worth a shot. And sometimes it's a good way to do it to just do sort of process of elimination. The caveat to that being that you need to leave room in your testing schedule. If you're testing four different channels, TikTok, podcasts, Hulu ads at the same time, out-of-home ads, like those are going to be very difficult to pull apart if they sort of have similar KPIs. But yeah, you know, we found podcast ads to be a really great way to like it's in this sort of content marketing space like performance branding where it's a performance ad at the end of the day it has a code and you can go right to the website and sign up, but it's also someone talking about their experience, the podcast host, at least a lot of the ones that we do, we ask them to, you know, actually get a HelloFresh box and cook a meal and then talk about their experience. And that sort of puts it in the realm of social proof as opposed to more of a rote ad. Yeah, kind of best of both worlds from the social proof, influencer marketing, direct response, all in one almost. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a captive audience. People are often doing other things while they're listening to podcasts. So they are a bit less likely to just like click the fast forward button immediately. And hopefully that means you're still entertaining them as opposed to like torturing them, but you do have a slightly more captive audience. So in terms of taking say podcast advertising, for example, how do you make sure that if something is performing well, that that input is shared to the appropriate team or that there's the, the appropriate feedback loop so that learnings or insights get taken into account across the board? I think it's really important to have cross-functional touch bases and knowledge shares for that reason. Everyone can get so caught in what they have to do on their list, you know, that you're right. Like often, if you're not trying to 
make sure that everyone has the appropriate information, they're not going to have it. And, and so often you will have two teams working on the same type of project six months apart and they'll have no idea that like we already tested that or you know we have some learnings from a very similar channel or something that could be applied to this creative. So, you know, I, I think like it can feel sort of like a war of attrition just because there's so much going on at one time. But just putting those meetings on the calendar, you know, like we have monthly brand growth alignment meetings to go over every channel, what creative actually ran, what the performance was, and then sort of working together to think about, okay, what are the insights that can be gleaned here from a creative perspective? And obviously from an offer perspective, if we're doing offer testing, channel media buying perspective, and then everyone can take those learnings away and distribute them to the rest of their team. But if you're not like putting those meetings on the calendar, it's not going to happen. And there will be a lot of repetitive work. More so for my own curiosity, but you don't have to say who if there is someone. But have you seen a competitor do anything or something that's made you shift your model in any way, especially in terms of branding or positioning? Mm. I mean, I, I think it's been really interesting to see the meal kit space overall go through this transformation, definitely accelerated by COVID, where you're blurring the lines between offering groceries and offering meals. And some of our meal kit competitors are literally owned by grocery companies. So they have an easier time, I think, of blending those models. But that's definitely something that I think we're going to see the meal kit space do overall is offer more ways to have people not need to go to the grocery store on a regular basis and and make sure that we are hitting all of the meal occasions that you need, not just dinner, you know, because dinner was always the thing that meal kits handled. And there are a lot of pain points around dinner, but there's also issues around like, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to have for lunch? Um, Especially now with COVID, like I can't go to a fun weekend brunch anymore. Am I going to have something to look forward to on a Saturday morning to do to like cook with my family? And this idea that like, we're just cooking a lot more at home than we did even eight, 10 months ago. And I think that's going to continue at least for the near future. So, you know, I think at least in terms of product positioning, but also brand positioning, making sure that HelloFresh is going up against the food space overall, not just limiting ourselves to, hey, we're a meal kit and we're competing against other meal kits. Like there are grocery brands out there, there are restaurants and people get takeout food and everything in between, frozen food, etc. So lots of opportunities there. So we've got a few questions that we ask each of our guests. If you could go back and give yourself as you're just starting your career a piece of advice, or maybe as you're just going back and starting your role at HelloFresh, what advice would you give yourself? Mm, I think particularly when you're younger or really starting your career and honestly, starting any new role, you worry about bugging people sometimes, you know, like, oh, I'm sure this person is very busy or I would love to hear more about this topic, but it's not really directly related to my role. And I'm sure they have other stuff going on. They don't have time to talk to me. Like, I just need to, like my younger self should have just totally thrown that out the window because now being able to 
field those kinds of questions from other people who are joining, like it's a pleasure to do that, you know, to have someone come to me and say, hey, I work in a different department, but I, I'm really interested to hear more about what the brand team does or what brand strategy means or your experience working at HelloFresh. Like, I will never say no to that and I never have a bad reaction. So I just, I really encourage people to be curious and to reach out to people who you want to talk to, you know, and people are generally flattered to do that and happy to do it. So if someone was curious about how you have built your knowledge or skill set, is there a book that you recommend or podcast or media source that you pay attention to? Mm, I mean, I perhaps this is influenced by my agency background, but I still get a lot of value out of Ad Age and Ad Week, you know, back to this point about really great creatives, like the importance of great creative cannot be overstated. You can have the best media plan in the world, but if your creative sucks, then no one is going to be looking at it, I promise you. And so, you know, even if you are not the one actually building the ads or thinking about, okay, you know, what's our color palette and what's this ad going to look like? I, I really encourage people to be reading about great campaigns and partnerships and the companies who are really showing up and doing interesting and different things in that space. Awesome. Amen to that. So where can listeners go to learn more about HelloFresh and what you have coming up in the pipeline? You can go to HelloFresh.com, GreenChef.com, EveryPlay.com, you know, whichever meal kit tickles your fancy. And you know, we do have a lot more coming down the pike you know, in terms of our sustainability and social responsibility efforts. We just launched a program called Beyond the Box. And, you know, there's a lot more information that's going to be coming out about that. We're partnering with um, various government organizations in New York and New Jersey and throughout the rest of the country to provide COVID relief and um, help fight food insecurity. So keep an eye out for those updates. And yeah, you know, if you never tried a meal kit and, you know, it sounds interesting to you, I encourage you to give it a try. Definitely. I have tried it plenty of times and HelloFresh does a really great job. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate all the insight and the wisdom and excited to see what HelloFresh and the other brands in your portfolio roll out with next. Yeah, thank you. So glad to have been a guest and appreciate you asking me to join. And that's our show, folks. If you're still listening, either you got some value out of this episode or you got sidetracked and just haven't hit the next button yet. If it's the first one, it would be a massive, huge favor if you could leave us a review on whatever app that you're listening to right now. It helps us get our name out there, which in turn helps us bring more great guests on the show. What I'm really saying is help us to help you. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll be back same time, same day next week. Stay nerdy. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com.